much about how they're received. I, don't, I like I know what I'm capable of. I know what I want to, to achieve, but I'm not there's not anything frenetic around how it's received. So maybe that enables me to go a little bit deeper. You're listening to Skip Intro with me, Krista Smith. In 2004, Sienna Miller caught the world's attention with two giant breakout roles. First, the British crime thriller Layer Cake opposite Daniel Craig, and the second was Alfie starring Jude Law. Since then, she's appeared in films such as Casanova, American Sniper, and American Woman, as well as numerous theater productions, including Broadway's After Miss Julie and the West End's Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. In recent years, Sienna has spoken openly about her struggles as a young actress, the new power she's found in knowing her own self-worth, and her continuing fight for fair pay on set. The perseverance and determination that Sienna has shown in her personal life is reflected in her work on the six-part series, Anatomy of a Scandal. Sienna plays Sophie Whitehouse, an upper-crust Sloan Ranger type who has to deal with the fallout of her politician husband being accused of a shocking crime. Sienna is here with me today to chat about her career and provide insight on the much-anticipated series. Sienna Miller, welcome to the show. It is great to see you. I was just thinking about all the fun times we had at Vanity Fair so early on in your career with like Layer Cake and then Alfie because that I did the cover on Jude Law. At the That was like one of my early cover stories for that film. And I remember equating your moment on screen to the moment we meet Michelle Pfeiffer in Scarface. It was such a yes! brilliant moment. <laughs> I need to go reread that article yeah. just for, You should. Yeah. That would really make my day. What an amazing comparison that I will take and enjoy. But it was true. Long time ago. Yeah, you're yeah. like twenty or twenty one, right? I mean it was 21. early days. Yeah. Yeah. Just getting started. Oh my God. Yeah. So Anatomy of a Scandal is based on the book that I did not read, but everybody else has read it, right? Sarah Vaughn's novel, right? It was a giant yeah. bestseller. And what's interesting to me about these, I guess, these limited series is it's basically you're shooting a movie for the better part of a year, right? Because you're doing six hour long, essentially, episodes. How is that different than like just doing a regular film and like working with that crew for that long and and all of that? Well, I mean, the time commitment is certainly longer. This was about five and a half months. And then with prep, yeah seven probably and a movie is quicker and it's sort of more of a condensed concise thing I I loved I loved making this it but it was a really strange time it was September 2020 so London where we filmed it was in a lockdown we all felt so grateful actually just to be able to leave the house and go to work but it wasn't a normal experience because everybody was masked and wearing visors and you know you feel kind of remote in some ways that being said that length of time that you have with people is pretty special because by the end of it you have a shorthand and a dialogue and a even though you're kind of only seeing half a face in this case because of the masks we we were a very very close group so it was it was pretty joyful in spite of the fact that not a particularly uplifting subject matter in many moments but we did laugh our way through a lot of it there's so many good twists and turns in this and of course I was you know fresh eyes because I hadn't read the book and I didn't know what was coming and I love the way it weaves and and turns around and it really is a story about women in the end you know the scandal is is a giant part of it but it really is about 
how all the women respond to it. So tell me about responding to this character and wanting to be here, because at first it's like, oh, of course, I could read that character on the page and be like, oh, yeah, Sienna's perfect for that. <laughs> Just visually, <laughs> like, oh, OK, I could see that, you know, Sophie Whitehouse, like, you know, has everything, looks great in, you know, a slip dress, drives a Range Rover. OK, but there's so much more to her as there is so much more to Sienna. So I would just love to to hear how you prep for that and getting into it and, and why you wanted to do it. I mean, I think initially the draw was, I love that format. I love a six part drama. I don't have the patience for long series. I, I kind of do the first season and start the second and then I forget. And and I think that it it's, it's really a very successful kind of way of telling a story. It's a long movie, like you said before. Obviously the people involved from the producers to David E. Kelly and Melissa James Gibson and SJ, our director. I wanted to work with her for a long time. So that was, like, when I got it, I was like, this is a great caliber of people. And then I read it and it was, it was interesting. It was kind of uncomfortable because of the associations that you might automatically make. I mean, she's dealing with very public betrayal. Betrayal is something that as women and men, I'm sure, but I'm kind of familiar with and certainly publicly her responses to that kind of situation were so different to mine. It was interesting to kind of step into a situation that was somewhat familiar, but with a very different lens. And like, how would somebody else react to a similar feeling? Which is kind of punishing and weird. And I do think that I kind of bash out my psychology in my work. There was something that was interesting about stepping back into, you know, she's hounded by the press and and things which I've really dealt with. But she's quite acerbic and stoic and reserved I am the absolute opposite so that was interesting and she's just not who she begins as at the end of this series and I think that that's something I'm also always drawn to I want to see a transformation I want there to be some kind of self-realization but it was in moments a little bit uncomfortable it was just not pleasant. I was like, why Why do I do this to myself? Why do I need to like be back in this situation? And actually in the first episode when the betrayal, when he reveals that he's had this affair, I, my heart started beating really fast and Liza could hear it. Everyone could hear it on their monitors. And so there's a heartbeat now that they use throughout the show, especially in my storyline. And that is my actual heartbeat accelerating from him breaking this horrible news to me. So it just was triggering. I don't know why. I would want to do it, but I'm twisted, I guess, in some way. It's cathartic. <laughs> I mean, I think that that's, it's, it's cathartic, you know, and that's the one thing yeah. about movies is they show, you know, they reflect our lives back to us in some way in, in a mirror. And like you said, this is not a unique experience. And, and I feel like women always bear the brunt more than men, certainly publicly in our world that we live in, in this Hollywood bubble, for sure, women you know, we have to carry that on our shoulders versus the men. But I love the complexity of this and then the complexity in Michelle Dockery's character. And when you yeah. guys finally meet, that is totally such a delicious scene and everything that isn't said, but said. Yeah. I mean, she's such a powerhouse and she's so incredible in this. She's incredible in everything. But but I love that they are these really opposing women. I mean, they're very, very different. And there is in spite of the complexities of their dynamic, there is a kind of respect for each other. And I actually, I do find it very feminist, this this piece. I think it's polarizing and it's weird and people will probably leave it feeling like, did that happen? I mean, some people have those opinions already, like, did it happen? Did it not? You know, which is hopefully going to inspire some really healthy, aggressive debating over dinner tables. But 
you know, I loved it in the first episode where the affair is broken and that horrible Chris Clark comes around to the house and mm. he says, you know, uh, you know, messing around with a filly. And Sophie says she's a woman, not a horse. And to, to have the instinct to defend the woman that's had an affair with your husband, I just thought that that was... I think that was probably just, I've now circled back to your first question, but that was probably the moment I was like, I want to play this part. Mm -hmm. Well, he's a great, I mean, he's a great character too, that that kind of sharky PR man. And oh, I loved all this little. (laughs) Okay. The the other scene I want to talk about is the one with the mother-in-law. So you take the kids for, you just need to get out. You've been in the trial. It's a lot, a lot of details. You don't necessarily want to hear about the affair and all that stuff totally understandably. So we as an audience go with you. And we're that was just so shocking and so British to me as an American. Here's the moment I'm referring to. He knew it, mind you. Perhaps it's a male thing, that complete self-belief. My girls don't have it. Neither do I. Even as a very little boy, he was like that. Like what? Overconfident, I suppose. Unashamedly lying at Cluedo and cheating at Monopoly, insisting on changing the rules. You're good for him. His father and I have always made that quite clear to him how lucky he is to have you. Why would you do that? Do what, Sophie? Raise your son to believe that it's okay to cheat, to cheat at Monopoly. It's only a game, dear. With which he honed his ability to lie. Well, perhaps I should have said dissemble. Lie. I need to remind you, politics requires a certain agility in that regard. It doesn't require him to lie to me. May seem insurmountable to you at the moment, but you will get through this. (laughs) (laughs) Very British. Also, what's interesting about that specific scene is that that lady, Phoebe Nichols, is my real-life, to some degree, mother-in-law. She's the father of my child's mother oh my god I did not know that yeah (laughs) so it was and we've been wanting to do something for Asia she's an amazing actor but I was like please play my mother-in-law in this and we had the best day but it is a very 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 English thing and it's that ability to just sweep things under the carpet and not acknowledge the elephant in the room and carry on and stiff up a lip and you know, this woman, my character's life is imploding and she just does not want to look at it. She will not look at the truth. It's incredible. And then it's just like, and then everything will go back to normal. Like, it's just, it's just going to be normal. Back to the way it was. Back to the way it was. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Totally that, that idea. But that's also generationally too, which I think is interesting with women. It's like, okay, this is what it is. We all know this is what it is. And it's like, Michelle's character, as obviously the barrister has that, it goes for boys will be boys, nothing above that at that generation, which is something that I, I come from that era of, of stuff. Like, it's fascinating to to re-examine all of this and think about what was said to me, what things, and we just didn't even think about it because it was just what we lived through. We didn't even think about it. It wasn't even like a question of like, oh, yeah, whatever, boys being boys. And, you know, and now in the situation where we in 2022, we're examining this stuff. And what will be fascinating is the gray lines here. And there's a lot of gray and a lot of is it, you know, where is the culpability? And I love with your character because I love the way that her resolve, the way that she resolves her own 
culpability in it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just. And she oscillates between real doubt, real conviction. Like she's, she's not, she's not clear and it's, and that felt truthful. And she does see how she's, you know, there is that line also in the scene with Phoebe where she says, you know, are are we to blame in some way, you know, because we let things slide. But I remember growing up and feeling uncomfortable and, you know, and she says, Sophie has this line where she says, you know, sometimes maybe it was just easier to acquiesce. I mean, God forbid you offend a man or hurt their ego by rejecting them. Here's a clip for our listeners. What this girl is doing to James is inexcusable. Actually, Tuppence, she's of another generation. Things were very different when I was at uni, the blurriness of consent. Men were guilty of selfish exuberance. We were guilty of failure to communicate. Does that make us complicit? Because sometimes I think it was just easier to acquiesce. It is a generational thing that I was talking to Naomi Scott, who's brilliant in this as well, and she, they just don't have it. You know, she kind of bridges my generation to hers. There's one below that just, it does not exist. But that's that's a huge thing. I mean... Yeah, it's it's huge. And I love the way that that's really highlighted in this. Mm-hmm. And even when we go in the flashback scenes, which are really incredible as well, because that's interesting to me. Did you ever meet the younger Sophie? Yes, I met yeah. her. We were on set together. Because yeah, it just feels... She's much taller than me. Oh, she, well, it just She's feels, way taller. It feels like you're the same person. They did a very, oh, very great. good job with that kind of molding. And that's interesting, too, yeah. is that she was just ready and willing to give everything to the the boyfriend, you know, the the love of her life, just like not to ask any questions, just full trust in the men. Yeah. That is another angle that I thought was really fascinating. And yeah. Whatnot. And then you're falling. Did you fall? I was in hospital that day. So they had to have, I was going to fall and I would have loved to fall, but I had to, I, they had a stunt double and then they kind of meshed my face in in post. Why were you in the um, hospital? I got a kidney infection. I was just on set and I was like, my back feels weird and then my fever was hot anyway yeah. I'm fine live to tell the tale but I did not get to fall through the the court which I would have loved yeah that was amazing unfortunately scene. yeah I want to go back a little bit to the beginning of of you because I feel like and this is this is meant to be a compliment because it is a compliment and it comes <laughs> from the heart. But I feel like your your best work is just starting to happen. And you're someone that came on the scene like shot out of a cannon, you know, in the world of observation, not I know for you what that was personally. But yeah. if you look at it, it felt like, oh, my God, layer cake, then Alfie. And you were just the the it girl. Everyone was obsessed with you. And media has always been obsessed with you, good and bad. The Vogue's, the Vanity Fairs, all of that. We've always loved Sienna Miller, as well as the tabloids have also always loved Sienna Miller. But <laughs> Not we've loved, but yeah, yes, loved, right, exactly. focused on. <laughs> Wrong word. But it's like the work you've been doing, I feel like you're just now in the sweet spot of not having to be the ingenue we can really you the characters are deeper for you and this is going to be a really interesting decade and I'm excited about it and I'm wondering if you're feeling that as well you know it's it's funny I kind of look back I, I definitely am aware that the noise of everything else very much eclipsed what I was doing work-wise. But my third film was Factory Girl and that was like a Loved good it. performance and that was a deep character. And and I did this movie with Subi Shemi called Interview and I was nominated for things. And like there was there was work happening. It just was very much nullified by the 
by the noise of what else was going on. So creatively, I feel like I've always had opportunities to, to, to do deep work. I don't think people were able to see me in that way. And then I had a baby and I had a very fortuitous year of Foxcatcher and American Sniper. And that was like, oh, maybe she's serious, you know, if serious directors are working with her. And that was great. But I do feel now that I've got to a point where, A, the world has shifted. There are more interesting roles for women. I mean, I just turned 40 in December and that was normally, I met Sharon Stone the other day and she was like, you're so lucky that you're 40 now because it was like, you're dead at that age Mm -hmm. in the past. So I love that I've kind of coincided with this shift that is happening and, and the roles are great, Mm -hmm. you know, and I've, and I also feel like I, I don't care as much about how they're received. I I, like, I know what I'm capable of. I know what I want to, to achieve, but I'm not, there's not anything frenetic around how it's received. So maybe that enables me to go a little bit deeper, but I'm excited. I just, I want to be doing this when I'm 80. I want to be Glenda Jackson playing King Lear and, you know, hopefully that will happen. You're so good. I mean, I'm thinking about another performance, American Woman. You oh, mentioned, my favorite yes. character ever. Oh my God. I mean, you mentioned, Deb. I mean, you mentioned Factory Girl. I mean, that was a, you were brilliant in that. Edie Sedgwick, it was incredible. I mean, I think about these, you're absolutely right. The work was always there and you always have had that. Like, you've never not wanted to be an actress. A serious actor, Yeah. yeah. Right. But it was very, it was really distracting, the rest of it, you know, that was difficult. It was difficult to navigate and it was very much out of my control. No, American Woman, that was that was a creative peak for sure. Mm-hmm. I loved that character so much. It's a really good one. Um, and then doing plays and things, like I've always tried to tried to keep my head down, but it was just, there was so much perception to overcome. And it's nice to feel like that was, that's in the past. That was a long, long time ago now. It is a long, long time ago. And I think that when people look back on that, they'll look back on their part in it that wasn't, you know, certainly in the media, like what we do. I remember you telling me about being chased down a street with paparazzi in the dead of night. They're like chasing you. And it's actually quite terrifying. It's like you really feel like you're these crazy people just trying yeah. to get a photograph and it's like what we're we're hunting people it's very surreal it's really funny to look back because it's so not it's so not the culture now and it was and it reached such a fever pitch at that exact moment that I became well known but yeah 15 men chasing a 22 year old girl down a dark street and the fact that they have cameras in their hand means that that's legal but it's terrifying mm-hmm. genuinely it's but it does feel like a whole, it, it feels so abstract now that that happened. It's just so weird that that was, I, I don't, I barely remember like a decade. I think I was just traumatized, <laughs> but still standing, still, still stand, here. More gorgeous than ever, <laughs> just as talented and still standing and an incredible resilience. So like you are, I mean, I know you're half American, but you feel like you're British. Obviously you grew up in London and you did that British boarding school thing. Are you sending your daughter to boarding school at eight? <laughs> No, Americans no. can never <laughs> comprehend that. Like, you're what? Third grade? You go to boarding school? Like, it's always been that giant disconnect for me. And it was Brits, crazy. All the Brits go to I boarding mean, no, school. No, not at, not at eight years old. I mean, I must have been a terror because, no, I wasn't. I, I think apparently I wanted to go, but no, but for, for girls at eight, that's rare. I think back now to like, what was that first night when you're in a dormitory with 10 girls you've never met in cast iron beds with like, tweed blankets, lights out at seven, lights up at six, like hospital corners, make your bed. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't brutal. It it was brutal. I was devastated, but 
no, I'm not sending my daughter. But I looked at her when she was eight and I looked at my mother and I was like, how could you? I know. She's a baby. She's an absolute baby. She's still in my bed, let alone her own. Yeah. I've worked with a lot of, obviously, in, in, in my career, I know a lot of British people and we have the, obviously, we had the London Vanity Fair and whatnot. And so many of them still go to, you know, boarding school. It's just part of what you do, right? And they're very prestigious yeah. and it's it's part of the education. But I am shocked. I think later, later is fine. Like 11 for a girl or 13 for a girl, maybe if they want to do it. And you do formulate incredible friendships and and you're in a rural setting and it's sporty and it's like, it's idyllic in many, many ways. But eight, no, no. Oh <laughs> it made me this combination of like incredibly resilient and tough and like extraordinarily fragile, which is probably quite good for my job. But... <laughs> It is very good for your job because you are incredibly resilient. Yes. And you have this warmth and vulnerability at the same time. And I think that that it's interesting because I think that's why the that's part of what the camera's obsession with you is. And obviously on film, there's so much going on behind your eyes. We're always wondering, what is she thinking? What is she doing? Because it is that combination of resilience and vulnerability, which is rare. And it's interesting to Thank think of you. like, that's where the seed has, has been planted, you know? Yeah. Abandon your child at eight. Yeah. That's what you get. <laughs> All right. Well, what was the first movie you saw or play you did that made you want a career? Because you, you don't, I mean, what was it when you're in a boarding school, like you said, with hospital corners, what made you want to gravitate towards theater or film? I don't, I mean, it was something that I I, knew, I always remember wanting to do and I don't know why. I think my mother wanted to be an actor and probably like fed me little nuggets. But that being said, I loved creating things and play, I was always putting on plays and dressing up, always in the dressing up box. And and I guess it's some form of like escape. I think it's, it's certainly changed as I've gotten older, like why I love what I do. But back then it was like, it was being somebody else for sure. Mm-hmm. Because of my traumatizing childhood. <laughs> I was like, anything but me, anything but me. But no, I, I saw my mum used to take us to the theatre. I mean, we went to the ballet every Christmas and, and I loved live performance. Um, what play? I remember seeing, I remember seeing Ray Fiennes do Ivanov at the Almeida, I think. That was a pretty formative, I must have been 11 which is hardcore Chekhov at 11. Mm-hmm. But, it, but I remember being, breath, it was breathtaking. And uh, he was on stage as the audience came in. And I just remember studying him and I got to meet him afterwards. And it was, that was a very inspiring moment that just popped into my head. But all sorts of movies. I mm-hmm. mean, some like it hot. I remember from an early age sort of mimicking that. And true romance as I got a bit older. Mm-hmm. My sister and I were obsessed with Silence of the Lambs, which is I mean, aside from the eight-year-old at boarding school at 12, I was like, I was studying Silence of the Lambs every single day. I can still quote that entire film. <laughs> and my parents were really, yeah, really, no, I love my parents, but they weren't really funny. paying much attention to me. I remember seeing that as one of my very first at Vanity Fair, I was brand new and they sent me to a screening at 10 a.m. in New oh. York. I had just like moved to New York. I was an assistant and I went at 10 a.m. to see this movie alone and being absolutely oh. terrified oh. in the morning <laughs> and coming back it and just terrifying. being like, I, 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 I can't even express what I just saw. <laughs> but it's, Yeah, horrifying, horrifying. But it is the greatest yeah, movie okay. ever. Yeah. It's incredible. It's just incredible. 
Yeah. I know. And then and you think about Anthony Hopkins. I mean, he just won an Oscar last year. He's still he's still working. God, he was astounding in that film, in The Father. Oh. So great. This season on the podcast, I'm talking about ambition. So last season I talked about fear because it felt it was something I was feeling fear, obviously, in COVID. And what does it mean? And now coming out of COVID, I just like to talk about my feelings with my guests. So my thoughts about how I reevaluated my own ambition, like what is my ambition now that we've come out of this period of lockdown and, you know, the world being turned upside down in a very unexpected way. So. I'm asking everybody, what is your relationship with ambition these days, both career-wise, personally, you know, anything? I've always had a funny relationship with ambition, and I, I don't know that I'm ambitious enough. I think I'm ambitious to be respected and to do, but I don't have... I, I've never thought of ambition in terms of, like, I, I've never strategized, like, to get to that level of that, which would have been great. I mean, I have ambitions to work with the best filmmakers, probably, in any capacity, I would love to be on a set with Jane Campion and Paul Thomas Anderson. And I'd like to produce and I have ambitions to direct one day, very nascent stages of that seed. But I, I, yeah, I don't, I've never, I just don't have that thing that makes you kind of ruthless, which I associate deep ambition with somehow, that there has to mm-hmm. be a kind of ruthlessness, which mm-hmm. I just don't have because I went to boarding school eight years old. Because <laughs> well, my parents screwed me up, all right? No, I just, but I want I want, I have ambition to be more ambitious. And you have ambitions, I'm sure, for your daughter. Like I have ambitions for my boys about what I want them to do. And I do think that one thing you don't get enough credit for is for being very much a feminist and fighting for equal pay and fighting for mm-hmm. that kind of equality in our workspace and in the entertainment space. So I'm just going to say that out loud because I've recognized that and I don't think you get enough credit for that. Because I'm not ambitious enough (laughs) to go out and promote myself in it. No, I have ambitions. You know, it's such a weird time in the world, as you said, and we've been in this intense experience of a global pandemic. And then we had five minutes off before this war and it's, it's devastating. The world is upside down and And so when I think about my daughter, I also like I'm a Luddite. We talked about this when I was trying to set up the recording of this podcast. But the world is changing at such a rate that I I, I can't even fathom what it will be when my daughter is 18 or 21 or whatever, or beginning her life or her work. And I really think that that the focus is just on happiness and being a good person with good manners. I don't know what a job will even be at that point with AI and I'm terrified by this kind of the loss of humanity in social media. And I have ambitions for her not to be on social media <laughs> until she is a fully formed woman. But it's a difficult time to navigate on so many levels. I don't know what, what I would aspire for anyone to do because I have no idea what the world will be. And that is, to me is daunting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like in terms of the social media, it it swings, you know, the pendulum swings where it's everything is social media and then it's going to like swing back. And I think of my kids who are who are a little bit older than than your daughter, right, who are, are teenagers. They're interested in like 
vinyl and it's really cool not yeah. to be on social media and it's like this oh, other great. like anti because that's now become the establishment right so their parents are on TikTok that's and good. you know all of that stuff so I do think the pendulum swings yeah in each direction oh that's really encouraging that's great yeah no it's true that's I think really it is harder though for teenage girls just to navigate it because it's so brutal about the physicality and all of that stuff. I it's know. Like, I mean, imagine going through high school with that, you know, when you can actually see how many people like something that you've done. Like, versus just imagine that everybody hates you, but you actually have proof. You know, it's like a difficult, it's, it's really tricky. Yeah. And there's no template. Like we're raising kids in this moment where everything is brand new. There's, you know, it's, it is an experiment. So I'm, I was excited in the State of the Union when Biden was going to start addressing some of that stuff just to help us mm-hmm. us old parents navigate the world, mm. hopefully. How long are you in L.A. for? I am in L.A. till, till Monday. Okay. I live in New York. I really like it. For the first time in my life, I am loving L.A. I've been here twice this year or three times. And, yeah, it's, it feels like it's come out of what we've been through in quite a magical way. I never used to sleep very well in L.A. I now I'm like sleeping like a baby and and the weather and New York's felt a little bit brutal somehow. Mm -hmm. It's been hard Mm -hmm. and it's filthy and there are rats and trash and I'm just a little bit like it's so clean here. (laughs) Everyone's so happy. (laughs) Well, I don't know about I mean, we've got our own uh, form of discontent, but the sunshine and is is definitely a benefit. And I will say when I've been in New York, I've been struck by the massive amounts. It's all the eating outside that is the rodent population is like quadrupled. Taking Uh, over. It is taking over. And And raising a kid there is it's hard. You know, winter also we've come, you know, it was just February and that was it's really it's freezing and it's like it's 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 you're at war every day. You leave the house, you like put your arm on you're like, let's go and the school run and I'm slightly ready for some some cleanliness and levity. Yes, I'm sure I will see you out and about at, at some of yeah. these events and stuff. It'll be fun to do those things because we yeah. haven't been out for years, it feels like. I know, everyone's... I always get work done. Everyone's like, you know, chomping at the bit because no yeah. one has been anywhere. I've been to a couple of these things and everyone's like, oh my God! You know, and everyone has a little bit of social anxiety, which is kind of great because we're we, we've been inside. So we're all kind of saying the wrong things. No one knows where to look. And <laughs> everyone's a little off. <laughs> we, we won't be because we've had a trial run with our, with our chat. Yeah, we bumping into you. Yeah. <laughs> we have had a trial run. Well, yeah. I am so happy that I get to talk to you, you know, like we're both still here 15 years plus later I'm talking to you I think yes. about those Hollywood covers and Annie Leibovitz and all the you know oh, just so all the stuff <laughs> and and the times in London and in New York and here in LA and those Vanity Fair dinners and blah 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 we yeah. lives of princesses I know but <laughs> it is great to see you and I'm proud of you this is great work you always do great work but I love you getting the attention for it. So I'm going to be loud about that. Thank you, my love. (laughs) So lovely talking to you. Likewise. All right. Enjoy the sun. Get some more of that vitamin D. I'm going to. I burned myself yesterday. It was a rookie mistake. Can you see my red arm? Oh, my God. Look at that. I ran into a friend by the pool who's like, put some oil on. And then I've cooked myself. So I have to take it easy. But yes, hopefully. Oil. That is. When I see you this weekend. (laughs) I know. So English. Like, who does that? Only an English girl having a fag and putting oil on by the pool. And now, literally, 
bubbling up like a crisp for my Sunday dress. Oh my God, that's oh, well. so funny. <laughs> you can't um, blame that on boarding school, but you know. Well, I could. Watch me. Watch me. <laughs> All right, Sienna. All All right, right. I'll see you this weekend. See you later. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye. Anatomy of a Scandal is streaming now on Netflix. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm Krista Smith, your host and creator of the show. Skip Intro is produced and edited by Isabel Arricchio and engineered by Dave Corwin. Special thanks to our coordinator, Alyssa Hillman. Please subscribe, rate, and review Skip Intro wherever you've been listening. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Krista Smith. If you enjoy the podcast, please go to NetflixQ.com for more. That's NetflixQueUE.com. 